I am really excited to continue in our holiness series together this morning. Um, we've covered a few different kind of aspects of this idea of what it is to be holy. We've covered the idea of uh, God being holy, meaning separate, set apart, other, and that that's a big deal. And last week, we talked about the idea that it seems crazy, but we too are called to be holy as he is holy. And how in the world do we have a chance? How can it be that two words that are said about us in scripture, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, are holy and blameless? It's amazing. We called that justification when we receive that status. We are positionally holy because Jesus is, because he's perfect and other and separate, and he paid for our sin, and we are credited with his righteousness. And now we live in light of that status. That's our call, right? And we talked about how holiness isn't about a list of do's and don'ts, it's about conforming gradually to the character of God and obedience to the will of God. Simply meaning becoming more and more like Jesus. And we've called that sanctification. Sanctification. It's actually necessary and unavoidable part of coming to know him, which is amazing. And it's possible only through the inward work of the Holy Spirit. So today, you're saying I'm positionally holy, yes. You're saying I'm called to live in light of that, yes. And I'm empowered to do it by the work of the Spirit within me, yes. So why is it so difficult? <laughs> why is it so hard? Why is it such a struggle for us to live holy lives? Well, this is actually part, a normal part of the Christian experience. It's a normal and expected part of our experience, and holiness, our big idea today, is a battle. Holiness is a battle. It's a fight. And the biggest obstacle maybe in this fight is sin. Sin. And we have to fight against sin. And certainly, if we're trying to become more like Jesus, who was sinless, this struggle is going to involve pushing back against sin, right? It actually is. So what is sin? Maybe this seems silly to, to define it, but it's important. Sin is acting or behaving in a way that does not line up with God's character or commands. That means in our thoughts, words, or actions, acting contrary to his nature and commands. In the original language, it would mean to miss the mark. Like picture you're an archer or a, I don't know, a slingshotter? slingshotist, I don't know what you call that, but you, you would literally miss the target. We're missing the mark of God's expectations for his character and command. So how do we know this is normal to experience this struggle as Christians? Well, nowhere in scripture does it ever teach that we are able to attain perfection here on earth. It never does. That's a heaven thing. That's a later thing. <laughs> One day, praise God, that that's possible. But you might say, hey, Scott, you talked a lot last week, okay? You talked a lot about how Jesus paid for my sin, so why is it still an issue in my heart if it's paid for? Well, that's a great question. It's still an issue because I still have a sinful nature. I still have indwelling sin. So we can think about it like this. <clears throat> the war on sin was ultimately and completely won by Jesus on the cross, right? There is still, though, some enemy activity from a defeated stance. 
You can think about wars maybe that we know even in modern times where it's not an equal fight between two sides. One side has decisively secured victory and the other side has kind of moved to hiding and guerrilla warfare type things and there's flitters of enemy activity so the troops must remain, right? Because the enemy is still present but decisively beaten. That's what sin is to us. Still present, still indwelling within us but declared defeated. And we know this fight is part of the Christian experience. Otherwise, James wouldn't write things like, resist the devil and he will flee. Paul wouldn't write things like, throw off every sin that so easily entangles as we run the race. John writes in 1 John 1, and these are all in new version, by the way. We're hopping around. He says, if we, including himself, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And certainly, if we've ever actually read through scripture, we don't find sinless characters, right? We look at Old Testament saints like Moses and David, and we see stuff in their life. We look at Peter or Paul, and and we see a struggle still. And Paul writes about this struggle in a unique way in Romans chapter 7. I invite you to turn there with me, maybe on version or maybe in your paper Bible. And now this is, full disclosure, this is a debated text. Some of you are already ready to just come rush the stage after the service. It's a debated text, but many, and I would call myself in the many, uh, believe that Paul is describing his experience as a believer, and it sure seems like this describes our experience as believers in the struggle. So let's read together in Romans chapter seven, starting in verse 18. This is what Paul says, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that whenever I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin." He's describing this frustrating struggle, the tension we feel where we desperately, inwardly want to follow God and live his way, but we still are wrestling with the sin that so easily entangles. But thanks be to God, he said, Jesus has made a way. So let's look at, we have sin, we've we've talked about how do we deal with it? Okay, let's look at that. Sometimes we don't. (laughs) We just kind of ignore it. We say, hey, this is no big deal. This is just a small thing, I don't really care. We may, if we're a believer, kind of over-rely on the grace of God and say, hey, I know this, is, I know this isn't okay, but thank you, Lord. You are good, your grace is good, you're forgiving me, which is true, but that can lead us to a bad place. Maybe we kind of get caught in a snowball effect where we do something wrong, we feel a distance from the Lord, 
And so we're less inclined to spend time with him. Sin seems a little more attractive and we fall into it again. The distance seems to grow and all the while sin becomes a little more appealing and we seem to slowly build further and further away from him. Or maybe we compare and we say, I know the thing I'm struggling with isn't as bad as what so-and-so is doing or I could be doing such a worse thing. We kind of compare. Those are some options. The other option is that we fight. We say, I want this gone. I want something done about this. And there's two things that we can do there, and we'll see what the right way to do this is. The first, we call behavior modification. This means I try really hard <laughs> to fight against sin, which is, it sounds like a good thing. I say to myself, self, I need to be a more godly man or a more godly woman for the Lord. I'm going to try harder. It involves a lot of white knuckling. The problem is it relies on me only to beat sin. That doesn't work. The other option is we might sit back and say, Jesus, take the wheel. I want this gone. I'm not going to change anything about my habits, my time with you, my circle of influence, or anything, but hands in the air, cut this out of my life completely. Me do nothing. That's not the answer either. What is the way? We rest in God to make us holy, yes. Do we have a part to play though? Yes, yes we do. Now, full disclosure, note here. Being made positionally holy has nothing to do with me, <laughs> right? Justification has nothing to do with me. Becoming more and more like him, remember sanctification, is only possible because of him too, but I have a responsibility in that as well. We can say God's given us the potential to resist sin, but also has given us a responsibility to resist sin. We miss that a lot of the time, I think. And that's why we get passages like these. Let's look. Let's see if this is biblical or just Scott's thoughts. 2 Corinthians 7, Paul says, Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, Dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless with him. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 would say, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. That sure implies some responsibility or effort on our part. It's maybe a little bit like gardening. I don't know if you are into gardening. I do know some of you are. It's serious business for you too. I won't try to make light of it in any way. And I know that myself because I got into it pretty deeply a couple of years ago. I've managed to, to break out now. But uh, it turns out people don't really appreciate when you send updates on your crop yields to them on a weekly basis. Like I, you'd think they would, but sometimes they just don't. But it's a big deal for many of us. Now, when you're gardening, you don't grow the plants, right? You really don't. You do create an environment. You help foster a suitable environment for them. You might build a garden box. You might think about fertilizer needs, obviously important. You might be aware of rabbits and put up wire mesh and these things. But you don't control the sun. Try as you may, you cannot summon the seed to germinate and reach forth in victory through the soil. You cannot control the quality or the quantity of the fruit that is produced. Those are outside of you. 
but I do have a role in creating an environment that's conducive to growth. And it's a lot the same way in our responsibility with holiness. No one can ever grow in holiness without God, ever, but we will also never attain what he desires for us in it without an effort to walk in it, to stay close to the one who is doing the growing. We have a role to play. That's his design, actually. In fact, if he wanted us to do nothing, he wouldn't have left us his spirit who enables us in us, right? And often, we need his spirit to help us see where the fight needs to actually be taking place. The spirit has this amazing ability to do that, to convict us and bring off the blinders and reveal the spots where we're supposed to be fighting that we maybe miss because they don't seem that big to us. And we have a really easy time seeing these things in other people. And for whatever reason, it seems a lot harder in ourselves, right? You think of things like pride or a critical spirit or a hot temper or the propensity to gossip. Not often do I think to myself, huh, you know what? I'm, I'm being a pretty prideful, selfish jerk today. Hmm, look at that. What do you know? We don't usually think of that on our own. That takes a God thing to reveal those areas of our life that are blind spots. But what we can do and should do is what King David does in the Psalms is ask for help to see it. Ask for help to see it. Let's look. Psalm 139, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He'd say later, or earlier in Psalm 19, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. They're hidden. We need help a lot of the time. So all this is nice. We might say, I get it. There's a fight to be had. Why, though, is it so difficult? You haven't explained the why that have to be this hard. Maybe partly because sin is intoxicating. We have a very deceitful enemy, and sin is presented as very lovely. We often love it as it's first revealed to us or first appears. I was thinking this past couple weeks about World War I and some conversations I had with our Belgian exchange student and thinking how some of the first times that poison gas was used in, in war was during World War I, which is this horrible thing. What awful weapon this is. And you would imagine such an awful thing would smell awful too, based on what it does. But it actually doesn't. It's kind of interesting. A lot of the time, it would smell pretty good. It would smell like geraniums or lilacs or maybe spices. And it's a sinister thing because that means as it's experienced, you might want to breathe a little deeper and a little faster, totally unaware of the damage it's doing in the moment internally. And for us, I think it's kind of the same. Sin often presents as lovely. It's very intoxicating. It makes us want to breathe a little deeper, breathe a little faster and totally unaware to the damage that's being done in the moment. So it's hard to fight because it's intoxicating and we love it. And if we're honest, a lot of the time we don't really want to see it go, at least not forever. Forever seems a long time to give up that thing, right? It's intoxicating. And what we need then is actually a change in desire, which is something cool the spirit can do as well. It can actually change our affections, our desires, so that we would love his way and not love sin, Paul writes in Philippians 2 something amazing. He says, 
It's God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purposes, meaning he can give us the desire and the power to live his way. Isn't that incredible? We have everything we need. He can give us new affections. And this is a big deal because if we can't grow to hate sin, we might wonder, will I ever enjoy heaven where it's not present, (laughs) right? This is an important thing. One of my favorite authors says that these new affections can have expulsive power. So think about sin like a squatter, okay? Sin is not a legal tenant in the Christian's life. It has no legal uh, standing for residence in us. And the space it occupies, it needs to be expelled and that space filled with these new affections, a love for Jesus, a love for his word and his way that we wouldn't have on our own. And so that as that grows over time, the no vacancy sign shines brighter and brighter so that sin doesn't have the hold that it once did. We can pray that he would change our affections so that our sin would seem to us more and more bitter and that Christ would seem more and more sweet. He would be what's intoxicating for us. Has that been the case for me or for you? Has Christ become sweet and our sin become bitter? Another thing that makes the fight kind of difficult, very difficult, is that we fail to take it seriously and we maybe over estimate our control (laughs) over sin. Maybe we do that. There's a really interesting movie, maybe you've seen it, it's called Grizzly Man. Anyone seen Grizzly Man? It's a story of Timothy Treadwell, who's an interesting cat, to say the least. He really likes bears, as you might imagine. He actually lived among grizzly bears off and on for a period of 13 years. And the, the reason it's such an interesting movie is because he filmed a lot of that. It's obviously been cut down. But his interactions with them, he's, he's living with them, he's getting close, too close for comfort, even petting them. It's quite wild. And one day, there is a bear attack, and him and his girlfriend are both killed by a bear. This is a true part of the movie. And it's a tragic, tragic story, but what it's not is a shocking story right? When I tell you the premise of the movie, you may imagine how it could end. And it shouldn't surprise us in any way that bears would act like bears, that bears would act like dangerous animals. And in the same way for us, it should never surprise us that sin would act like sin, that it would do what it does, which is bring pain, suffering, and death. And a lot of times we wanna coexist with sin, we wanna kind of enjoy its presence, we wanna be close but not too close, maybe even pet the bear a little bit. We think we have more control than we do, but we're not called to coexist or live among sin as much as we're called to put it to death, to kill it. It's a big difference. John Owen said, be killing sin or it'll be killing you. And this is what we see in the Bible too. This is super biblical. Let's look at Romans 8. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, that's the key, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul writes too in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. It's a fight and one that we need to be killing sin, putting it to death. And there's a lot of frustration for us in this fight because it's so difficult. Picture this, 
if there's a graph, I know I've lost some of you, usually me, math. Picture a graph. On one line, you have our understanding of holiness, that God is holy, what it means to live his way and live a holy life. That's one line. The other line is our practice of living holy, okay? There is a gap between those two lines, between our knowledge of the holy and our practice of the holy. And the distance between it, the gap, directly correlates to my inner frustration and groaning and holy discontent because I am so far away from practice in terms of what I know. And J.I. Packer would say that that gap is what Paul's saying when he says, oh, wretched man that I am. That gap should stir us up a little bit. That gap should move us to lean hard into Jesus and want to see it close. And over time, as we become more like him, it should close because of the Spirit's work in us. We should make every effort as well to see it shrinking. Scripture would tell us to not let sin reign in our mortal bodies, meaning we shouldn't give it a power it doesn't have. We've been given everything that we need that we couldn't accomplish on our own. And it's a big deal because Jesus didn't die only to deliver us from the guilt of sin, but also the rule and reign of it in our life. That's why we pursue holiness. And when we sin as a Christian, it's actually us acting out of character. That's, that's not a part of our new way. It's kind of like if our leg was broken for a really long time, even once it's healed, we might still walk with a bit of a limp even though it's just out of habit anymore. Sin is just an evidence of our former way of life. It's not something to be accepted as part of our new self in Christ. We can have victory. It lies in reliance on him, on his power, and personal obedience that he enables. That's the key. It's a fight, but it's the most worthwhile fight we could ever take up to live his way. That's the call of the Christian life. And the greatest thing is, guys, sin won't always be a thing. Isn't that amazing? Yes, praise God for that. One day there won't be a struggle. Ultimate victory is secured and promised, and it is on its way. It's sure, and it's coming. In the meantime, we seek to live his way, and we fight the good fight.